It's Guild Ball Tonight, your independent source for Guild Ball news, information, and conversation. Episode 46 for September 27th, 2016. All right, well, hello and welcome to the Guild Ball Tonight podcast, the not live podcast that we do every uh, couple of weeks. Uh... Let's see. Tonight I am joined by my co-host Bill, who's going to be thrown off because I did not say anything clever right there. How you doing, Bill? I think that was very clever, and I thought it was a very good catch. <laughs> I'm sure the five minutes of speech you gave as my clever introduction was edited down <laughs> to something uh, very short, like you saying, I don't know, I didn't say anything clever. Exactly. That is the magic of uh, editing. Uh, so, uh, so what are we going to do on this show this week tonight, Bill? We are going to, well, we're going to have a pretty short news section this week. And it's not just because there's not a lot of, uh, news to, to go over. That's any different than, than last week's crop, but it's mostly because we have just got a ton of actual content for you this week. So now, First are up, you sure? I mean, that may be news, right? Guild Ball tonight, a year and nine months in, has yeah. real content. Well, I mean, we uh, we are consistent, <laughs> right? Like, consistency <laughs> is the one thing that people can actually say about our show. We're, we show up, we and have interviews. As, as we discussed earlier, we're still on. And we are still on. <laughs> uh, that's more than some people can say. So, uh... Right, so Bill, first uh, first thing up, you're going to update us on a couple of a uh, couple of events that you're running. Couple of things, yeah. Yep. Um, and then we are going to have three interviews this week because whoa, three. Uh, first up, we're going to have uh, Bill's interview with uh, John Harrington from up there in Rhode Island, right? Uh, up in Rhode Island, and, and he uh, he and Bill talked about what? Bill, you talked about the difference between pure union and union as I, I still want to say that's what it is but this really goes back to even even different from that yeah. um, you know he was he was nice enough to join me people may remember you know the the couple of people who listen may remember a couple of weeks back we got a question about union and I made my comment about the fact I, I just it baffles me why people seem so uh, bent against union being in teams and i figured that was a damn good topic mm-hmm. so uh i reached out it and was. found somebody who was willing to jump on and and you know discuss that yep yep and what i like about the interview is is the section where you are arguing for aesthetics i found that to be particularly uh particularly gratifying <laughs> i pay good money to get good aesthetically looking models <laughs> So, so it's not just me, folks. All right. Then after uh, after Bill's interview, there we uh, we've got a uh, a guest spot with uh, Matt and Jamie Perkins together, who uh, wound up, we wound up talking about SteamCon the other night, uh, just as a uh, a reminder to anybody who hasn't bought their tickets. Uh, they uh, they are they are giving us some of the some of the reasons why you should be there. And if it is within your means, I do highly recommend it. 
Then uh, following that, we've got uh, an interview with one of my favorite tabletop gaming podcasters, Steve McLaughlin from uh, WWPD and Intensify Forward Firepower, who has recently gotten into Guild Ball. And so we're going to do a... Yeah, a first impressions interview with him because I think it's it's nice to occasionally go back and get that new player perspective uh, and that that fresh uh, fresh set of eyes onto the game into the show because you know not only does it remind us old guard what uh, what life was back like back in the day but it also gives people who are new to the show and new to the game. Uh, sort of their own their own voice on the on the show as well. So uh, that was well, a really good conversation. I enjoyed that. So. Yeah, and it's and it's nice to remember. I mean, and as you said, it's nice to remember there are still new people. This is still a growing game. So. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. I had to hit the cough button. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is just a this is just a shit show beginning. All right. <laughs> And then after that, we, of course, will have our Twitter questions. So not too many tonight because we've got uh, quite a bit of interview content. But I think we'll we'll try to shoot for, for what, at least three of them, I think. So, all right, Bill, why don't we get started with your upcoming events? Give us the... Uh, Give us the rundown on what you're doing in uh, so, Virginia so there. I'm not sure if anybody has heard yet. <laughs> uh, well, that's not true. Actually, quite a lot of people have heard. Uh, the Fall Brawl. Fall Brawl coming up on October 15th. Uh, here is some excitement. Uh, I believe we are the first silver-sanctioned U.S. tournament. Really? So, Very have nice. cleared 32. We are on our way towards uh, uh, 40, which at this point has become incredibly reachable. Um, you ready for some of these? You're, you're going to love these because as much as I love stats on all places, including you know that crazy ranking site and everything else, uh, I actually came up with a little bit of stats to share with the people attending the Fall Brawl. Uh, currently, we... Da, 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 da. We have a six-round, two-day single tournament, uh, basically meaning this is not a series of qualifiers like Gen Con. Um, this will be, uh, if, if these people show up, this will be the largest U.S. tournament to date. Um, the other tournament that was holding second place or is, is currently holding first and will soon be in second place is, um, I'm sorry, the other tournament, which is currently holding second place and will move down to third place is the, uh, uh tournament, 28 person tournament out in Chicago. Mm. <laughs> um, well, no, I, not a bad thing. I, I just, um, I'm trying to remember if it was, I don't think it was Gildemon Go. It was, um. Ah, uh, see, now it's going to be bad. Um, it was Get 'Em Lads out in Chicago back uh, back in April of 2016. Uh, next thing, this tournament, the Fall Brawl, is currently covering over a 470 mile radius for players. We are pulling players 
from central Virginia all the way up to Rhode Island. And as of the this weekend, this uh, previous weekend, we are pulling players from Chicago. So we have a Chicago um, person coming out to represent, and we have an Indianapolis player coming out to uh, represent. We have a Cincinnati mm-hmm. player coming out to represent. So uh, this is going to genuinely be a multi-meta, um, probably as much, you know, as wide as the, uh, as Gen Con was. And as deep as any ocean. All right. So as deep then... as any ocean. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, uh, if people want to get those, those seats to pad you out even further, where, what are we, what are we looking at? Where are you going? Uh, go to tiebreak or you can go search for the Huzzah Fall Brawl, H-U-Z-Z-A-H on Facebook. Uh, either one of those will, uh, point you to where to buy tickets or you can just get in touch with me uh both of those places are good and uh i'm just hoping this continues to to grow we uh, have some incredible sponsors uh broken egg games has stepped up to sponsor uh mats by mars has stepped up to sponsor nice. and uh you're ready about you ready for this i i i'll have to tell you off air so you can ooh and ah <laughs> but i got a 10 pound box from steamforge nice that showed up with limited edition prizes Ooh. for uh, players. Very good. Yeah, those those guys are those guys are. Pretty, those Steamforge guys are pretty with, good with prize support. They always have, but you know, a lot of the a lot of the Guild Ball vendor community has. I mean, you know, you've mentioned Broken Egg and Mads, oh, yeah. they've both they've both done done well by us in the past too so yeah i mean it's 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 nice running a tournament for with the uh, guild ball because we really do get nice prize support all around and i can't knock i mean cannot forget uh to mention and definitely cannot knock uh huzzah hobbies my mm-hmm. local game store who you know they're you talk about some place that's able to hold 64 players mm-hmm. and uh all the mats and everything and is yeah. happily letting us monopolize the store for a day it uh yeah it's it's a pretty big deal very good very good all right and then what is coming up in december so december 10th um all of the news about this is not out yet so uh some people here and anybody who is a war machine fan in this uh mid-atlantic area will be hearing about this uh this will be the first time on here uh there is an event that the guild or that the war machine community has done for years Uh, a couple of different areas have done it it's called food machine the general idea behind food machine is a bunch of people to get together usually either right before or right after thanksgiving uh, they play a bunch of War Machine, and they are able to donate food to effectively cheat at the game. <laughs> um, so, uh, since one of the local press gangers is a good friend of mine and a uh, fan of Guild Ball and a Guild Ball player, mm-hmm. um, he and I spoke pretty much throughout this year about the fact that there is no reason we should not have a food ball tournament at the exact same time. So, one of the things we're coming up with is all the rules for how you will cheat. (laughs) And uh, basically, this comes down to uh, the simplest part, you know? Come out, play Guild Ball, bring food, spend food, cheat. Now, some of the ways that that cheating may occur, I can already tell you some of them, which is, you know, give me a can of food, get a on-the-spot influence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, get a can of food. Man, make if your... I, I could bring like a big box of food and finally, yes. finally, finally play a, a team with a six influence <laughs> captain. 
Uh, bring a lot of food and make your uh, make your opponent for every uh, couple of cans you give in. I think it's going to be escalating. Make your opponent re-roll goal shots. Ooh, um, yeah, just a variety of things like that. Now, one of the other nice things. Uh, the gentleman over... Um, at the Beer Thralls podcast, which is actually where James, the uh, press ganger I'm, talk- I'm talking about, uh, is from. Um, one of the things they have done every year is they have painted up a War Machine army, which they then auction off at the event. Uh, it's typically an entire army. It often has a orange, uh, some sort of orange color scheme tied to it, so it looks a little... A little funky, but I every time it's been very nice. Um, incredibly well painted. And the way you buy tickets is you can get a dollar a ticket, but the bit better way is cans of food. Very so good. cans of food, boxes of food, things like that. Things Sometimes that are food cheaper than a dollar a can, too. Yeah, exactly. So, and then they do a big raffle and they give this entire army away. Nice. Well, in the theme of food for the holiday season there is an entire six-man hunters team which i donated and um the gentleman from 13 13 hour miniatures will be painting up and uh it will be raffled off as well very nice very nice so yeah it's it's a real fun day casual games it's not competitive but it is a full-blown event and uh We'll uh, we'll see how that goes. December tenth, more details will be coming. So watch Facebook and you know, uh, there's a number of places that it'll be. It'll be up on Tiebreak as well because I got to figure out some way to do uh, to to get it up there so people can register beforehand. Very nice, very nice. All right, so that's uh, that's two nice events coming up your way, and uh you do certainly get uh pride of place when mentioning your events since you are kind of the co-host but if anybody else has any events they want to plug (laughs) they really should send us some information we still have a whole event thing with the monkey music at the end right well the monkey music's not for events but it's the best part of the end of the podcast uh some weeks I haven't listened to the end of the show in a couple of weeks. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, not that part. I listen to all the interviews that I, I don't know. take part in. <laughs> Very good. So, uh, yeah. So let's go ahead and get into those interviews that Bill has not heard yet. Well, no, actually, we're going to start with the interview that Bill has heard because <laughs> it was the interview that Bill did. And I actually haven't heard it yet. And then the two interviews that I did that Bill has not heard yet. Yes. And then we'll come back in on the other side and pretend like both of us have now heard all of all of the interviews, even though little secret here, <laughs> we haven't. <laughs> but I will have heard them all before Bill has heard them all because I will edit this mess tomorrow. So there you go. All right. A little bit of a little bit of backstage magic for you, exactly. In case you were ever wondering how we make a podcast, it is lies, deceptions, and just (laughs) pretending like we know what we're doing. All right, very good. See you on the other side. Okay, here we are. Uh, This is Bill, and I am here with Joe. How you doing today, Joe? I'm doing pretty good, you? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. So so this is your first time on the, on the Guild Ball tonight. This is actually going to go to Guild Ball tonight, so. Awesome. <laughs> so. Let me check around. I think that's where we are. Yeah, yeah, Guild Ball tonight. Um, 
Joe, we we uh, I wanted to you you uh, you you agreed to come onto the show and have a bit of a discussion with me about a topic that's been floating around. Uh, I want to jump into that topic. Very much a Guild Ball sort of hot topic right now. And no, it's not the Obulus is so broken topic. <laughs> but um, before we do that, one of the things I wanted to do because of the type of topic we're talking about is have you sort of introduce yourself. Like, you know, who are you? How long have you been gaming? What games have you played, and how long have you played Guild Ball? Oh, jeez. Um, well, <laughs> I'm Joe. Uh, I'm a pundit in uh, in Rhode Island. Uh, we have actually a pretty good scene down there. I have a big league going on with about 16 players right now. Um, as far as how long I've been gaming, pretty much as long as I remember. <laughs> I, I have, like two shelves in my dining room that have like hundreds of board games and stuff on them so pretty much any game that's been mass market i've probably played card games miniatures games 40k malifaux guild ball um started playing guild ball right when it got launched in the states i was running around to like 16 different stores trying to find models um like i think i mentioned earlier i uh i picked up three guilds to start i picked up union which is interesting for this topic uh <laughs> fisherman and uh alchemist which are fisher uh, fishermen i've kind of fell off playing but like alchemists and hunters right now are probably the guilds i play the most and i usually play them without the dirty union nice. that we're talking about yeah that's that's where we're going okay so i i mean it sounds like you've been playing you weren't in the Kickstarter, but shortly after the Kickstarter launched to retail, you were in the game and you've been playing a good amount of time. Yeah, yeah. ironically, I watched the Kickstarter and I, I thought about backing it and then I was like, I'm never going to get anybody to play a game about soccer with me. Nobody likes soccer around here. And then I uh, decided not to back out. I actually think I backed it and then canceled and uh, I kind of regret that decision. I cannot point. tell you the number of people I have heard that from recently <laughs> who, who went, yeah, I looked at the Kickstarter and was like, this isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, so so from from those of us who were in the kickstarter haha <laughs> <laughs> thank you appreciate that well I, I figured that sets the tone right but that's <laughs> um okay so a couple of a couple of episodes ago on guild ball tonight i don't believe phil cut this out although i stopped listening in to that part of when i talk so uh like most people i don't listen to what i say <laughs> but um i had made a comment that it, it, it is baffling to me that there's so much pushback and dislike for union and that the dislike is not necessarily um we hate union as a guild sort of like the the current mortician's obulus oh it's broken and everything else but it's the idea that there's a lot of there seems to be a lot of discussion floating around about should union be limited in pure guild should you play pure guild and not use union you know you you made the comment um yeah in tongue-in-cheek i think a lot of it is but that still shows an underlying point of discussion of the dirty union right oh <laughs> we, we we included the union um i'll say right up front you know i i am a union player however I started with, you know, in the Kickstarter, the game, I, the, the team I was introduced to the game with was Morticians. Yep. Um, I started playing Masons because they were the quickest ones for me to paint up. And I have played, 
I have played Pure Guild. However, I never viewed this game as a uh, Pure Guild type of game. Even to the extent that when I've talked to uh, Matt Hart and, and Rich Loxham and, you know, those guys about their ideas all the way back to early, early interviews on Gamers Lounge and the early interviews with Guild Ball Tonight, one of the big differences in Guild Ball was that the union, the mercenary team, was built from the ground up as not only their own guild, but as being partially included in every other guild. Yeah. So... I don't like. I understand other games that push back and say Malifaux is a great example, right? Malifaux, yeah. the uh, the mercenary, the the outcast sort of started as exactly that. They were the the oddball models that didn't really fit anywhere else, so they're kind of cool, and everybody can take them, and we'll wrap them up in their own faction. Right. And then there was a lot of work to sort of pull that together. Um, War Machine and Hordes either has advocates who love you know, the mercenaries and minions or people that, you know, they're sort of cobbled on or this tack on. Well, I, ironically for me being on the side of the conversation for Guild Ball, I was actually a Signar player for War Machine for, for quite some time. And uh, their, their faction is about 80% mercenaries and 20% actual guild uh, <laughs> well, so. I, so I wonder if that's part of it, but, uh, you know, I... I'm, I've been pretty clear on on my standpoint. Obviously, I brought you on because you have you have a different opinion. You know, you you side on pure guild, guild guild always, and not just pure guild because when you play union, you can't take other union choices. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, help me open up the conversation or, or follow on with what I've just said. Why am I wrong? Like, what well, am I missing? I, I don't necessarily want to say you're wrong. I, I'm not one of the extremists, like, oh, my God, you're playing Union and you're a team. You're some kind of awful person or whatever. Um, I just don't think, as a player, especially in a game this young, it's good for learning to uh, to just start throwing in Union. Um, because you have guilds that are built to be synergistic together, and... You might think that there's a hole that you need to fill with Union that you might be able to fill in Guild better and with a lot of abilities and who knows with future abilities that affect, you know, friendly Guild models and things like that. You might want to get more used to playing just pure Guild. And also, I think it looks better on the table because my Union have a totally different paint job. (laughs) Um, Now that I understand, but... From a look on the table, right, the aesthetic, I actually saw in one of the Facebook posts, um, somebody was talking about exactly that, right? The the aesthetic looks different. And I took some time. Now, maybe this is just me, but I took some time after I saw that today, went downstairs, laid out a bunch of my models. And while each of the guilds certainly have their own aesthetic and their own look, right? You could look at a model and kind of know it's fishermen. Yep. I'm not convinced the the models that can go with the fishermen are that far off. Like if I had painted Gutter and Fangtooth and maybe not Averse and Greed. I mean, the big guy and the little guy, they're pretty distinctive yeah. in and of themselves. But I can see painting Fangtooth and in, in Gutter into the blues and the whites and the grays that my fishermen team are and being it being tough to see a difference there. 
Uh, Fangtooth, I guess I can kind of agree with you there. Um, I went a very different direction with him, but um, I, I could see, especially with all the, the metal and the chains and the whatnot, um, but I wanted my union to match so that I could play them at, when I play them as their own team. They're also coherent. Right. So um, if you sit there and you kind of go, oh, well, I'm going to play Mist with Morticians, and then I paint... Well, my morticians have a very interesting paint job, actually. But uh, <laughs> if I want to paint this to look more mortician-like, then I go to play a union game that looks like an even more disjointed um, team than if you just throw one union model into your normal team. Um, okay. But like I said, my, my main thing, and like I said, I think before, before you started recording, is I really like knowing your guild before you start adding the mercenaries and i think at this point in the game other than avarice and greed who usually is in my eight i won't lie i don't usually put them on the table but just i feel like you need to threaten that extra activation to make people think about what six they're gonna put out um which is a problem in and of itself in my opinion but um I, I mostly play uh, Smoke is the captain I've been playing the most lately and I don't really see a need to play Union and I haven't really felt that I wanted to um, I like that the way the alchemists work together I like the you know I could throw Mist in and, to get another 3 inch AoE for Smoke to jump to but it doesn't fit as well in my opinion so, so you jumped into Alchemist first and I was gonna I was gonna try to stay away but <laughs> Since you did, here's here's my weird question, right? Yeah. So yes, when you look at calculus, when you look at um, mercury, right? And you look at um, you look at a flask. They all produce some sort of three inch AOE yep. cloud. However, hemlock also produces a three inch AOE cloud. Mist also produces a three inch AOE cloud. Uh, snakeskin and venom both poison people when they hit them. Yep. Um, Decimate is the only one I would say maybe seems a bit out of the box because she doesn't do any effects. Harry the Hat throws a Maltov. Uh, I just won't talk about Harry. I, yeah, I, I really, I was, I was, I was trying to go down that road, but I just, I, I, I can't talk good about Harry at all. Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, avarice and greed and decimate. I, I can see looking at them in a alchemist team and saying, okay, these guys don't quite fit. But snakeskin, mist, and hemlock, don't they? I, I mean, can you really argue that they don't? do very similar or the same things that the rest of the guild already does. But if they're only doing similar or the same, why bring in something outside of your normal guild? So, like, yeah, you're right. But why you, not? You can get poison in other ways besides Venom, but then what if I want to run Naja? Naja and Venom work so well together, but I actually I tend to run Naja over Flask because I have enough three inch AoEs to pick up at the end of every turn without Flask throwing down another one. But um, throwing Naja and Venom onto somebody—that's you know—they're they're, those are the synergies I'm talking about. All of a sudden, your mascot's this threat that's actually doing decent damage, getting poison on things, threatening in two inches. Um, for basically a model, you have to take. 
And then when I have nausea, I'm going to want to take Venom over a Union player that poisons because it's just making that that much better. And you can make the same argument with Mercury and Flask uh, to get the the extra influence. Um, but I would look at it a bit different, which is I would say, what if I want to go poison focused you know uh alchemist the poisoner's guild and mm-hmm. i can now do that i can take smoke or midas either one right and then yep. i go naja venin um calculus uh um, hemlock and snakeskin everybody does poison everybody triggers something off of poison and that, it seems feel- like a cohesive guild to me that it is. I don't like going all in on one condition now because I feel like. Oh, fair yeah, enough. Right? You end up selling yourself short there too because you, you sit there, you get poison on everybody. Okay, everybody's poisoned now. All my guys, <laughs> right. they, can, they can't poison you more. If you could double up on conditions, then that would be sweet. But uh, but the whole idea that they don't fit into the theme is that's what i'm struggling with right that i don't see how that does how i don't see how if i were to put that on the table at the beginning of guild ball before you knew their reunion yep how you could even start to think hey how did those guys get there where did they come from are they really part yeah. of your guild i guess it's, it goes how far into the theme you're, you're looking like if some people i know are looking thematically like you said like these mechanics definitely fit together and i can't argue that because they're obviously designed to um, but I think a lot of people, and to an extent myself included, like will look at it as almost like a lore thing. Yeah, guilds are going to hire a union player to come in and fill a hole, but if you already have somebody in your guild that can fill that hole, why would you go out spending the money to hire this union guy? Um, See, and I, you lost me again, though, because in the lore... And I'm really not trying to be nitpicky, but I'm trying no, no. to trying to understand, right? In yeah. the lore, the guilds didn't reach out to the union and hire stuff. The union came in and said, hey, we're going to give you this player. We're making this dirty deal. Right, but, but, but why take it when you don't need to? I don't know. That, that's, kind of, uh, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. So, like... When I when I built my when I originally sat down and I'm like okay I really like the way smoke works um, and I'm going to build a team around smoke mm-hmm. um, like and, and I've tried a, and I've had a few different iterations of it and I've tried mist in it too but basically mist or vitriol seem to be my option and when I'm throwing down all of these smoke clouds vitriol just seems better because. Um, uh, like she gets the bonuses for <laughs> yeah, I won't argue with you there. <laughs> like, <laughs> she gets like a truck. <laughs> exactly, it's like she she can kick, she can move, she can do everything that I wanted to do. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play Venom. I had Compound in for a little while, didn't actually like him. Ended up throwing in Mercury and just the speed debuffs. Like the I get the the you know I'm able to make like this completely crowded pitch of three-inch AoEs, if, whether it's poison or fire or whatever, that people can't walk through. When I'm just throwing down... I feel like when I'm at a union, I'm just throwing down, other than, like, Noxious Blast, I'm just throwing down a bunch of more cover that people just walk through and don't really have to worry about. Got it. Um, See, and I guess for the most part, that would say to me that your choices, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a stronger choice to stay in in guild which again if it's a stronger choice to stay in guild i don't understand the general pushback on 
oh, you're playing Dirty Union, or why do you have, you know, I, outside of the argument of, you know, you could do better in Guild. Um, the other side is, I think, you know, the mist and vitriol question. Yeah. Vitriol hits like a truck, but mist still outdistances her, outdistances her on overall guild threat or uh, goal threat. So now I think that's, I would say that's a real choice, right? Do I want that extra two to three inches of goal threat, or do I want to be more versatile? Maybe, you know, two to three inches doesn't matter much when I can pump out, an, you know, six more points of damage or whatever. Yeah, and uh, what it came down to for me for that decision is basically I'm dropping smoke clouds every turn anyway, so there's, like, the positioning and the, the chemical breezes and the whatnot just even without having to drop vitriol smoke cloud i can actually get her into attacking somebody in cover so easily right and and hitting like a truck i i just felt like it fit better um and i i feel like there's a lot of that and it's not so much that i'm like i hate union and i won't put a union guy in my team (laughs) and all of this stuff like and i and i know there are some people on that extreme i just think people are too quick to do it um without actually exploring their guilds uh first like Hunters, for example, I haven't actually played a non-pure guild of game of hunters yet, um, and I've been playing them quite a bit. I'm playing them in the in the big league that we're playing now, and I, I've played a lot of practice games with them. And I haven't even attempted. I have Minx, and I can't even remember who the hell else works. And Minx and Headlock. So yeah. I will say this: I I I find that interesting because I just started playing hunters as well. Um, my first several games with hunters. I went pure guild because everything, they, they seem like this very, not just seem, they are this very cohesive engine right. that needs all its parts. One of the things I ran into is I am starting, now I haven't found the right swap in yet, so I'm not sure who she replaces, but I am starting to play around with swapping Minxin. The reason being, one of the areas I found that I was constrained in my hunters team, and this is without going to the ten influence hunters team, yeah. was a a, a uh, restriction on influence. Right, influence to momentum was a, was a is is a very delicate balance mm-hmm. in hunters. Yes, for sure. And I have started to put minx in. Now, you know, to be fair. I have been very vocal about how much I enjoy Minx with my uh, with my uh, union teams, mm-hmm. um, and she's becoming more and more critical to my play style in union. So a lot of that I think carries over. But the fact that she comes in contributes as a battery to influence if I need it. Adds in mark target so I can deal with being slowed down, and more importantly, charges for free so I get a zero influence to one momentum conversion really helps me out overall. Now, even if somebody parks, you know, I, I had a friend of mine the other day say, oh, Minx did nothing in your entire game. I said, well, Minx did nothing except for contribute me to influence the rest of my team and tie up one of your models all game so I couldn't charge. But uh, who, who are you, like, who are you replacing for her? And see, that's my struggle. So the <laughs> list I've been running lately, I've been trying to get Hearn to work. So I've been running Theron and Fahad, of course. Yeah. Um, I've been running Hearn, Agret, Jakar, uh, and Minx, which means I'm replacing Zerola. And that's paining me because I'm losing out on Midnight Offering. Yeah. Um, but Hearn, while he does some good things, 
hasn't been really stellar for me. Yeah. So I'm almost thinking about swapping over the other side and and swapping Hearn for Minx. However, that would be the same spot I would want to usually swap in Chaska or Cena. Right. Into that role, so so I, that I agree with. I am having trouble figuring out the correct swap, but I got to imagine that if you're playing for the avarice and greed extra activation, if you feel you need that, that's that same slot you're swapping them into. And I think right. Minx does more for the team in that slot than avarice and greed probably do. Uh, for me, the list I've actually been playing is I've been going back and forth with Hearn and Cena because. I mean, Tina's giant Baron is really cool. <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, I do like the the synergies with her, though. I think he's probably the better player overall. But I've been going more. It's um, obviously Captain Mascot, um, but Hearn, um, Jakar, uh, Chaska, and um, Egret. I haven't actually been playing with Zerola that much. I did at first, but um, I just like putting down as many traps as I can. And maybe that's because I've been playing against a decent amount of brewers lately. Yeah. Um, and the traps are just really, really good against them. <laughs> they wreck uh, brewers day. Oh my God. Um, but I've just kind of controlled the game that way and just made them go where I want them to be. And then use Hearn to kind of teleport behind them and hopefully not flub a kick. Now, what was um, your other starter? Was it Fish that was your other starter? Fish, yeah, Fish was the team I probably played the most of to start with um, and kind of learn the game with. Um, so in Fish, right, when we look at Fish, which I think is is, is almost almost a more, a more balanced discussion maybe, but but let's see, right? So we look at fish. We got Avers and Greed, of course. Fangtooth, Gutter, Hemlock, and Snakeskin. Yeah. Um, when I look at that layout, I see a bunch of 3-6 kicks and then Fangtooth, who... The interesting thing I find about Fangtooth is, you know, somebody that's creating difficult terrain, there's so much Lightfoot, right. there's two, uh, either Lightfoot or Dodges, right? There's two or three Lightfoot models and a couple of Dodges. I mean, it's yeah. it's pretty easy to work around his, uh, um, his aura. Now, yes, you look at the Attritionman build, which is all knockdowns, that makes sense to me, although Kraken ends up rolling in there. I mean... Yes, you have options, but is this an area where you think, do you think people get frustrated because of this type of situation where really if you want to be a damaged team with fishermen, your choices for the longest time, your your choice, not choices, your choice was <laughs> gutter and then yep. fangtooth. Yep. Uh um and I do I feel like you feel like you're getting pigeonholed if you want to do anything um and i think as more models come out people will probably get less frustrated with with union um but yeah and, I, and i've played i played fangtooth a few times when i was playing fisherman just for that reason i was like oh he makes rough ground i ignore that a bunch that seems awesome um but then at the same time i was like oh i really like playing siren kraken does a lot of really cool stuff too also buff siren um so it just came down to, and friggin', I mean, they're both just momentum friggin' yeah. targets from hell. Uh, so I tended to err more towards Kraken just because 
because you know you get a good charge off with him and you can clear out the middle of the pitch, clear out a lane for Shark and just score Got almost every time. Yeah. Um, and that's where it came down to. Like a, a lot of the times, and I know this isn't for every guild, and maybe it's just mostly. I mean, I have all but three teams like complete, but um, I just feel like I can find a in guild solution better if I keep trying at it. And I feel like people don't keep trying at it. They just go, okay, here's, you know, here's Mist. Oh, thank you. Let's jam him up the middle. And that's where it gets kind of frustrating for me is I feel like people don't actually experiment enough. And they just like, like Alex, for example, Alex plays Mist and Morticians like every single time. He's like Mist and Morticians <laughs> player. Um, and I see his point. Like they, he, definitely makes the team way more threatening but uh i don't think he's 100 percent necessary and i think i prefer to play i just started playing morticians i think i prefer to play a lot more in guild before i before i try and go to that crutch and i think the uh perception that guild kind of i'm sorry the guild uh that union kind of is a crutch is is part of the problem people are like oh yeah you're just gonna play this union player because that's what everybody does and if they, you know, are the easy way to fill this hole instead of trying to play with what you have, I think that's where a lot of the negative attitude comes from. Now, do you think it's so? You think it's an easy way to fill the hole, or a sort of as close as we can get to net listing with Guild Ball, right. as opposed to like one of the things I had wondered is there was so much dislike and in so much. Um, I have trouble I have trouble even trying to make this argument because I don't believe it but there was a lot of noise if you will there was a lot of discussion about pre-errata mist was the best striker gutter was the best model in the game and did way too much yep. and uh rage just was the best damage dealer yep um do I, I'm wondering if instead of being Maybe maybe it comes one to the other, right? Maybe maybe because that perception was out there originally, nobody's really let go of that perception. Even with the Erratas toning models down, everybody came into the game being told, you need to be careful of Gutter, and you're going to hate playing against her. You need to be careful of Mist. You need to hate playing against them. So people, when they took those models, players were immediately facing them with a bias. Right. Well, and I mean, I don't think it's an unfair bias necessarily. Even still, for example, I helped my local game store do the the ordering for for Guild Ball, mm -hmm. and um, I was helping them talk to their rep. And I was we, they didn't have Avarice and Greed or Mist on the wall, and I um, his rep literally said, "We have a guy that buys us out of that model every single time it comes in." Like both of those models, like that's that's saying something. When, when there are people out there, like bigger distributors, that are like, we need to buy literally every available copy of this model. Why isn't there the same bias? Uh, I I have never played against a Mason. I'm sorry. I have rarely. I can't say never anymore because I've seen lots of crazy stuff that people throw on the table as crazy. But I have rarely played against a Mason's team who didn't have Flint. I've rarely played against a butcher's team who didn't have shank i have rarely played against a brewer's team who didn't have hooper why don't those models that show up in every single build of that guild garner the same amount of distaste 
as if you can take mist, people take mist. And I think it's because you can take mist, then you can take mist in not only Union but in, all, in multiple other teams. You know, oh, now is it now because I, you can take them in others, or is it because some teams can't take them? I don't think it's because some teams can't take them. I just think it's it's frustrating when you're like, oh, I'm going to go play up against you know this different team, and it's okay. Well, here's Mister Neverson Greed again. That's a that's you know a <laughs> third of the team. You're, you're not playing against a different team. You're, it's like thirty three percent of the team is the same models, um, and that's. I think that can be frustrating when, you, especially when you're looking for, you know, a dynamic experience either at a tournament or, or even mostly just at your local game store. Because I go to a tournament, I expect to play against the same things a lot because, you know, it's a tournament. Right. Certain um, things drift to the top in the right. sort of consciousness. Right. Even like no matter what you do, things are, some things are going to be slightly better than others, and they're they're going to be there. But when you're going like, oh, I'm going to play against this team, and it's, oh, well, there's Iverson, Greed, and Mist, and now I'm going to play against this team. Oh, it's Iverson, Greed, and Mist. Um, and um, I think it was on Guild Ball tonight. I don't know which if, if it was that podcast where you guys talked to, to Jordan after he won the, the championships. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, where he was basically like, well, you know, round one I played against this list, and they didn't have Iverson, Greed, so I won. And that was like his complete recap of the match. Um, that's like, that blew my mind. Yeah. I, um, God, I loved that interview and I watched Jordan play uh, a couple of his games. I, um, I look forward to eventually facing Jordan. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it politely. Um, I, I, he's an amazing player, and and I know you know I've heard all the great things that he brought out of uh, War Machine, and how good of a player he was in War Machine. So lots of love for Jordan and and what he was able to do, especially in the short amount of time he played. Yeah. Um, I will say that I'm in the camp where I heard what he said. I respect what he said. I don't completely buy into what he said. Um, I think I had made a comment to somebody looking at the final game, uh, Brian against Jordan. Yeah. I was drooling to have the chance to, and it would be completely different, right? Cause it yeah. would have been a different circumstance to get there, but I was drooling to have made it to the final table and play against the way they were playing with my captain rage set up because yeah. it would have been a massacre. So, um, now Averson greed. We've mentioned them a couple of times. Yeah. There is a lot of, of bubbling um, distaste for Everson Green right now because they're showing up everywhere. Yeah, um, and um, it makes me sad because it's actually, in my opinion, one of the coolest moments. Okay, so sorry about that. We uh, had a little had a little hiccup. So what I was what I was about to ask you is Everson Green. There's a lot of bubbling resentment, bubbling dislike, bubbling something around Avarice and Greed right now because they are showing up everywhere. Um, seventh activation, et cetera, et cetera. How much do you think that is also contributing to the current thought or questioning about limiting the number of union in other guild teams? Um, I think it's huge, especially because Avarice and Greed work for everybody. Um, and they have a lot of upside and not too much downside. Like, uh, I played a game against, uh, what's the guild I was playing against? 
I know they had Everest and Greed. It was I was playing my Smoke Alchemist. Um, he was playing. God, I can't remember what Gildu is actually playing right now. But regardless, I I basically played my whole. Uh, oh, he, he might have been playing Morticians actually, uh, and I had to play like my whole strategy around when he was going to drop Creed, <laughs> and I was and and I did, and I killed him right away. He, he's like, okay, dropping Greed, and I came over, teleported over with Smoke, hit him for one damage, dropped my legendary, like got right. rid of him right away to mitigate it. But at the same time, like I still had to hold that until he didn't drop Greed until like the third turn of the game. Um, so I'm sitting here kind of hovering close enough to Avarice and Greed to, to just deal with that because I don't want to get out activated and have one of my guys who are not the toughest left out in the open and just get murked out. Um, and it's, it can be frustrating to play against when it, when it has to warp your strategy that much. Um, and I think it has a lot of the same type of arguments that people have against Obulus, where you're like you're literally just having to worry about this one model so much um, that it changes everything. Either that or you're playing that model, one of the two. Right. I will say this. So I I don't disagree about Avers and Greed. I play them. I would play them even if they didn't give me an extra activation, although I think, for example, my Captain Rage team, I love that last activation in in almost every case. Um, I don't make as great a use of it out of, say, Blackheart, or when I look at some of the other, you know, some of the, I don't play a lot of, I don't play Filet at all yet, so my Butcher's teams and stuff like that. That being said, uh, one of my locals, with Hunters, actually, Played, I think, a genius game to dealing with avarice and greed. And I don't remember who it was. I saw this either on Twitter or it was mentioned in a podcast. Um, There was one of the podcasts out there who, one of the people, let's say it's a podcast, was talking about wait until somebody figures out a, a strategy that takes advantage of the extra activation. Okay. Right? That That is a more aggressive early team or somehow takes advantage of the extra activation to make it a negative, and that will start to shift the meta again. And I, I ended up beating this player. However, mm-hmm. we were in a, a newbie tournament, and we were two of the more senior sort of experienced players there. Okay. Um, the only reason I beat him, and I would have lost pr- pretty damn close, is... Because we were playing on a 50-minute clock instead of a 45-minute clock. And he was able to drag the game out where suddenly, well, the Avers and Greed 7th activation really benefited my turn 1 and a little bit of my turn 2. Yep. He dragged the game out so that he clocked me, and now I have to activate before I can get back to doing my team. Right? So suddenly, I'm like, oh, crap. I have three models that don't have influence on them. You slowed down, and you know, it was a lot of traps and pinned and stuff yeah. like that. You slowed down and made it so the models that do have influence and can do work can't get to you. I have to keep loading those models up because once they do get to you, game's over. Right. And he just, just, I mean, it was a grind, but he ground out to now I have instead of one or two activations, I have three and four activations left. 
And every one of those is given up a point before you, I get to wrap back around. Don't you just reattach greed at that point when you see yourself getting... Not, not when greed is by your goal and avarice <laughs> is, you know, three quarters of the way up the table where the fight is happening. That, that's fair enough. Yeah, so so suddenly, you know, by the time... Now, it's something I, will, I would watch for in the future, so there are ways to mitigate it, but... Being so much in the game and having the game get close and then, you know, it's one of the things hunters do well. He right. had Cena out there and, and whatnot, and all of a sudden, I'm three quarters of the way down the field. And when I notice, and I think I have the game in the bag, and he backs up. And, and suddenly I can't get to him anymore between the forest and the rough ground and the traps yeah. and the and the pinned. And I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell just happened? Right? And uh, and at that point, I'm already down on time, and I'm taking activations to move greed his four inches and move avarice four inches back and leave the fight and do everything else. Yeah. It, it's going to take a while to get them synced back up. Right. So I, I found that interesting. Like I said, I ended up winning the game. I know how to watch for it in the future. But it was one of those things where I, I started to see players take into account that extra activation and turn it to a ne- or try to turn it to a negative. That is definitely interesting. Um, but I think it's really hard to do, especially in a game that's so balanced around the, the, the six V six, you know, the six activations, all of a sudden throwing in that like extra player is just so huge. Even if, you know, greed doesn't do much on his own, obviously four hit point, Occasionally he'll do some damage and then have to jump back on Avarice, but <laughs> right. like it's just that management that I, and that's one of the things when I play Malifaux, one of the crews I play the most. I don't know if you're familiar with it all. Is is Dreamer, who's basically a summoner, and I basically summon a bunch of irrelevant models, move them around, and then you're out of shit to do, and I have all my real real models to go in and kill you. Because I know where you are, and you don't have a way to retaliate. See, Malifaux and... is a is a great game for at least it was in, in first edition for <laughs> if you can get activation control, you <laughs> own you own the game. Right, right. You're untouchable, nearly untouchable. So now I don't know how that's changed in second edition, but it doesn't sound like it's changed much. No, yeah. If you can control the activations, you, you're gonna you're gonna win the game, um, and. I think Avers and Greed throw a little bit of that element into Guild Ball. Obviously, it's not huge because it's still only one more activation. You're never going to get more than that one more activation. But um, it's it's still huge, in my opinion. Now, okay, so what if Legendary Plays and Abilities became Guild Only? Right, one of the things Matt Hart just talked about on the Flock and Awe podcast, and I mean just within the last couple of days, uh, one of the things he just talked about is uh, tooled up yeah. is going to be guild only. Yeah. Does that start to force more choice and thus alleviate the dislike? For union on guild, on other pure guild teams, do you think, or does it just force sort of you know, make the union choices bad choices, thus force players into pure guild? 
I mean, I don't think, and I'm sure it's a tough balance to, to find from a design perspective. Like, I think you're, we're at a point now where a lot of people feel like union models are auto-includes. Like, you have to play these models. And like I said before, Jordan, with his interview, is a perfect example of somebody that believes right. that. Um, you need to find the balance where a union model can fill a role that's good, but isn't so much better that you feel like you have to take them and and maybe making abilities guild only is a good way to do it. I mean, everybody that plays bit butchers is playing rage anyway. He can't get affected by <laughs> anything. So, you know, but we're still playing rage. Um, so maybe if you, as far as I'm concerned, rage is a butcher's model anyway, but, um, well, but that, I think that's a great example, right? Yeah. You look at rage. How can you say rage doesn't fit? I, that goes back to the thematic argument. Yeah. How do you say rage doesn't fit in butchers? <laughs> I mean, he, he's a butcher's model that can work for union. Um, that's, he, uh, I, don't know. I like my rage. <laughs> I mean, he's even got the cleavers. He's he's all. He's oh, he's got the, yeah. He's got an apron in the other. I mean, no, I yeah. Rabbits hanging around. I, yeah, I still like that model. <laughs> it is a really cool model. <laughs> uh, but um, I think that that's a good first step, and I I think that'll help alleviate the community's view of it because I think see for me for my view is I think people. We'll use it as a crutch. I don't necessarily think it's always wrong. Um, I don't have the same, like, oh, you're playing Union that breaks the theme kind of argument that some people are making in your thread. Um, I just don't think it's the – I don't like people relying on – that rely on crutches like, oh, you know, Jordan said you should always play Avers and Greed, so now I'm going to always play Avers and Greed because I think that makes you a worse player overall because you're not actually learning. You're listening. And yet i got to uh, go back to you don't seem to react to what I would say are crutches in Guild. Because there's not enough models. Um, like, okay. Okay, that that is a I, – I can – completely see that like i in that funny enough i see that as a negative and as a positive to to my point right part of what i look at is you know i hear i coming through the kickstarter i heard all the time oh every team is going to be seven you know it's six players with the seventh player yeah and phil and i have joked about that a couple of times the seventh player well new players even know what a seventh player is <laughs> um but the reality is uh and i made this point i think I made this point on a couple of posts on the forums. Um, I heard lots of people talking about how strong Union was for the longest time, and they have the most choices and everything. And I kept falling back to, since the models for Season 2 started releasing, Union moved to the least amount of choices in the game mm -hmm. because every other guild had an initial seven, Plus the new captain, plus the, you know, if you yeah, don't yeah. count the veterans, every other guild got something, and then they also had three or four union players that were interchangeable with their guild. Right. So even though union started with nine players over everybody else's seven, technically every other guild really had 10 or 11 players, except for the two short guilds, you know, engineers and, yeah. and alchemists who ended up picking up compound. So right. there, that disparity was always reversed. It's just that some of the models filled dual roles. Right. Now, let me throw the real tough one out for you. Okay. 
if, if uh, and don't worry, you won't be alone with this because there's somebody else that wanted to do this interview too. So I'm, I get to do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're helping me hone my my discussion for um, why are people in the community? Why do you think people in the community are dissatisfied about union playing for multiple teams, but they think compound is so cool. Is it because compounds only two teams and both of those teams were less players and union are three and four teams? Um, I think it's because uh, a lot of what you just said, I think it's because they're, he's only two teams. He's not the, you know, guy for hire. It fits the the whole engineers and alchemists or buddies uh, lore thing for the, the lore people. Um, and they were already short models. So you, you sit there and you're like, oh, this is a cool idea. But I think also he's unique, right? He's a dual faction thing as opposed to this union, you know, we'll hire ourselves out. He's, I'm an alchemist and I'm an engineer. I do both of these things. I'm a cool guy. We're all friends. But at the same time, I think if they started doing that for a lot of other guilds, it would kind of lose its luster and the community's opinion would probably turn on a little bit as well. Um, I think, I think a lot of it's the uniqueness. A lot of it's the, how well it fits into the lore and both of those teams needed something. Okay. And, and see, that was, that's part of my thought as well. So I actually agree with you on that. Um, you know, yeah, it's we'll make an excuse for one or two people, but God forbid it be seven or eight. Right. <laughs> so, okay. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Well, you haven't really convinced me. I still think they, the, <laughs> I still feel like the game was built with each of these guilds having 10 players to begin with. And it I just don't... so happens that some of those players played for other teams as well. I, I think I don't disagree with you on that. And I think one point I don't think I have made or not clear enough is that you mentioned Harry the hat earlier. <sighs> Nobody plays that model. Right. Nobody's going to play that model unless they completely <laughs> revamp him. That model's not good. I don't know why I paid $25 for that model or whatever the hell. Because it's a called. really pretty model. It is. Um, but the, the point is you have these union models that are clearly better than even the other union models. And then they only work for specific teams. So like you have mist. Everybody wants to play mist, but not everybody can play mist. I play fisherman. I can't play mist. Granted, if I could, it would probably be broken. Down, <laughs> but <laughs> I can't put mist on a fisherman team. And then I have to play mist three times in a row against three different teams. And that, that can be frustrating as well. Um, Average and greed, less so because they work for everybody. But then it's that's too much on the other direction. Like I, it's a it's a tough balance to strike. Um, and I definitely don't fault uh, the design team for the way they've done it. I, I don't think it's bad, but I definitely understand people's frustration with it, especially in such a low model count game so early into the game because you have so few and one of the things you were talking about were the the in guild guild crutches like flint for example um yeah mason's always going to play flint because there aren't that many models to play if i want to play pure guild hunters and i go to a tournament with you know an eight 
player roster, I have literally zero choices. I, I have eight models. These are the eight models that I can play. And even uh, beyond that, I have, what, two other choices? Uh, Minx and Emma. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess like, some like, of that champion, comes... Championship format um, Hunters is literally one list. I can only bring one list. <laughs> right. I have nine. <laughs> I, 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 see, and I don't, I, I don't look at Hunters in that, because Hunters... Hunters are already behind the curve right now yep. and are going to need a second. Like any new team, I think, is going to be behind the curve for, for at least a year yep. until they get their second captain, one to two, three other models, whatever they're going to get. But in Brewers are the one I think that are the biggest thing for me. When I look at Brewers, hmm. I have... I. It's not even just because my local Brewers player, who's very good, plays the same team, same models. I mean, his championship nine is the same six models. Yeah. Right? So, but I may, you know, I'm going to see Spicket every time. I'm going to see Hooper every time. Yep. And then I'm going to see Friday every time. I don't see people swapping mash in for Friday, even though they're both strikers and handle strikers slightly different ways. I don't see people putting Stoker in for Hooper, even though, you know, Stoker's Stoker's a little bit more defensive, but they're both damage dealers. Um, I, I just don't see it. I don't see people not putting Spicket in, right, to get tooled up and, and everything else. Right. So it's... It, it is confusing to me since it seems like there's already a couple crutches in there and you could build a different type of team. You can build the, the Esther's super fast scoring team with Esther's Friday mash, um, spigot, and then somebody else, Dave or which somebody is, else, which is funny. Cause that's actually what I see more of up here. Than, Do you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> but even when I look at Gen Con, the, the, I, I mean, so I will say this. I, I travel a lot. I have actually mm-hmm. played that super fast scoring team. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I've had some good luck with it, even though I suck with brewers. But, I mean, I see the same team all the time. Morticians, I've actually, and I don't know if it's because I've played more against morticians. Nah, I really haven't. I've played mostly against brewers. Morticians, I see some variety, but yep. I know everybody's going to take silence. Right, right. Yeah. Everybody takes silence, and then you either get the meat market morticians, or you get some other sort of. We're going to try to score some morticians. Like I've seen this variety, and people going between cassette and rage, and how are we going to do this or that? Um, you know, Masons. <laughs> I'm going to see Flint. I'm going to see either Mallet or Chisel, and thank God for Chisel because now there's a choice there. He's just be, yeah. you know, Flint Mallet, you know. Brick was the one that was the in question whether he got dropped or not. And, uh, you know, you, you you basically ran out the same team. Hammer came out, and they just ran out the same team. Um, and I think maybe it's people are so, like, especially in a tournament or even, even in a local, like, pickup game setting, like, oh, I'm going to play against Masons. I know what it's like to play against Masons. Masons are fun. I'm going to play against Brewers. That feels different than Masons. I'm going to play against this other team. And, you know, maybe every time I play against Brewers, I'm going to see the same players, but they're different than when I play against a different team. Mm. Whereas with 
the you know auto include and i'm using air right that everybody can that can take gutter takes gutter everybody right that can exactly take. And, and then you feel like there's less variety in the game that there there's more of i'm playing against these same models all the time regardless of who i'm playing against and i think that's where a lot of the negative comes from because not only does that get more repetitive but it lets you try out things like it doesn't let you try out as many different things because you have to employ super similar strategies because you're playing against super similar models. Um, and, and, and that can get repetitive. And I will say part of my frustration, if, if I'm being a hundred percent fair here, <laughs> part of my frustration is there are certain union models that's are simply better with other guilds yeah. than they are with union. Like yeah. suddenly they get turned on. Now, that used to be the case with, in, in my opinion, with Gutter. You know, Gutter, Gutter did so much more in Brewers, in and in uh, Fisherman, than she did with Blackheart. Now that Rage is there with Red Fury, oh, holy, holy God! Right? But um, you know, there's certain things along those lines where, um, you know, Decimate is amazing all over, but suddenly becomes scary when you combine her. In a um, in an engineer's team, because she fills a hole. Um, Mist is amazing, but seems it's not even like he's better. But because there's no comparison, he seems to be better right. when you throw him into morticians, and then he is better when you throw him into masons because now you have that double. You have the two best score, you know, right. goal scorers in the game on the same team. So. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely I have a little bit of frustration seeing. Right, I, I would love it if the union models that were considered the best were the best in union, and then not apparently turned on when they get to another guild. Yeah, and I think a lot of the community's um, negativity towards union is going to to taper down once we get more models. Once we get into season three. You know, we get another whole guild. Everybody, all the other teams get more models, um, and there are more options because when there are more options, there things are going to feel less auto include. And I think it's just a symptom. A lot of it's a symptom of it being a new game with low model count. And um, while I understand the frustration, and you know, sometimes I get frustrated playing against the same thing over and over again too. Um, it doesn't stop me because I like the game. But um, um, I think we're going to see less of it once, you know, next season comes out. Every other guild gets a couple more models. We get the farmers. Who knows what the hell they're going to do? Um, well, you know, if, if, if I look at Tater, they're going to charge, <laughs> knock people down, and do absurd amounts of damage. Yeah. <laughs> Which sounds pretty fun to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, that's fair. That's fair. Okay, so do you want to offer any final thoughts to all of the uh, all of the people out there who who like me say uh, there's there's no reason not to just include union in everybody else is wrong. Um, I mean, I guess what I'll say is uh, friendly games around the store aren't tournaments. So yeah, while the best strategic choice is probably play the union guys. Try out some different things in guilds. Maybe you'll see something that you would have missed otherwise because you're relying on them. And the people you're playing against might have a better time, too, because they get to play against some different stuff. Sure. Um, I, I don't even understand that phrase. You mean your friendly games at the store are not immediately put up in the black orifice and ranked? 
<laughs> no, we, we actually uh, we actually play these games and they they're, they're fun. We'll play like different models and stuff. Um, it's crazy. It's I know it's a really unique concept, but uh, it's worked out well for us. Crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, uh, thank you for your opinion, even though I don't agree with it. Uh, um, I'm <laughs> always happy to give an opinion that somebody doesn't agree with. <laughs> Perfect. I like it. <laughs> so, from what I hear, not everybody has committed to going to SteamCon yet. What are they going to miss? <laughs> That is a short question for a very long answer. Cue the ah, music. Yes, exactly. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jamie. How you guys doing? Hey. Good really good. Good. But uh, but seriously, uh, let's let's talk about SteamCon. What? Uh, I mean, we've been given some we've been given some basics and some emails and some other presentations, but. Uh, you know, there's a few, just a few tickets left for for some of the holdouts. What uh, what's going to be going on? What are we gonna What are we gonna see? What are we gonna do? So basically, SteamyCon, um, <laughs> as we like to call it, SteamCon, if you're boring, um, you like is yeah. I like to call it SteamyCon. No, so it's basically a convention to celebrate um, all things Steamforged. Um, basically, it's a big big party uh, for us to get together with with all the people who play our games and and spend a weekend together. And we're tailoring a whole bunch of events to to you know just to make sure that there's something for everyone. Um, there's going to be a whole bunch of uh, casual play. Um, there's going to be a mixer on Friday night, which is the inaugural SteamyCon, uh, where you get to meet loads of new friends, catch up with old ones. Um, we're going to be running a campaign all weekend uh, with a very special prize at the end of it. And there is, of course, the World Championship. Um, there'll yeah. be a load of qualifiers going on for that over the weekend. I'm sure Jamie can talk about those in a little bit. Um, uh, and then on top of that, there is going to be a massive bunch of keynote speeches and presentations from pretty much everyone at the Steamforge crew. So, for example, I know that I'm going to be running a, um, a session called uh, Designer Guild or Designer, Designer a, a Player. Um, and then I believe once we've got somewhere where we like with that, then we pass the baton over to Russ, who may well try and uh, do some live sculpting and talk through his, old, his processes. Um, and then if we are really clever, we might be able to um, get that 3D printed and then perhaps Meg might be able to come in and uh, do some painting classes and talk a little bit about, you know, things like the new paint range and, and how she gets on with painting gilball models. So that's just an example of, you know, some of the workshops that people can kind of get involved with, pick up some tips, learn some stuff, ask loads of questions, just really, you know, a risk of sounding kind of, slightly pompous but you like it's it's just ripping the screen back you know have a look behind the curtain um, and just come and find out how we do things very cool very cool you know we've got some qualifiers now for for the world championships from the the conventions we've had you've, you've got the the british champion coming up but for those who maybe aren't aware you do still have an opportunity to to play into that event at steamcon correct 
Yeah, so there's actually not just one, but two. There's two last chance qualifiers. There's one that's going to happen on the Friday of, uh, of SteamCon just as we open. There's also going to be one that happens on the Saturday. So if you want to come and do you know, lots of different things, you want to come and see some of the seminars, you want to take part in how we're doing this um, process of designing models and designing new guilds, you can come and take part in all of that stuff and still play in one of the qualifiers. If you want to come in and tank both of them, you're free to do so. But we tried to design the weekend so that you can come in and do as many different things as you possibly can. And we're actually going to be, um, we've actually come up with a small incentive system as well for actually people to go out and experience all the different parts of, of, of SteamCon as well. So uh, there's actually going to be um, something we haven't really spoken about too much already, but we've actually come up with a lot of systems uh, that the more different kind of events you participate in, you'll be getting lots of different fragments of spoilers. So the more different events you put you play in, the more different fragments you can put together and you can put some different pieces together and stuff that you wouldn't have found out had you not been there. Ah, all right. Well, that's... Uh, we all we all like a, a scavenger hunt. That's, that's definitely... Uh... Definitely sounds like fun. Now, while uh, while Guild Ball would be enough, uh, I assume that there's going to be lots to do with uh, Dark Souls and, and other things Steamforge related. Yeah, do you want me to lead on this one, Matt? Or? Yeah, go for it, man. Cool. So what we're intending to do, and I think it's, I think this starts on the Friday evening, yeah, because we've got the main keynote on the Saturday planned for the moment. Um, we'll be revealing the full schedule soon, by the way. We're just having our graphic designer just make that nice and pretty of people. But at uh, the moment, we've got scheduled in for the Friday uh, a live stream of uh, some of our core staff, which I'm trying to persuade Matt to have some time for as well, but I'm pretty sure he'll be able to do it. On the Friday evening, we'll have some of our key staff playing through a game of Dark Souls, just the core set of Dark Souls. We'll have that ready to show people playing through it, just talking about how things that go through. It'll be something like a one, two-hour session and just like showing you what the game is and just showing you how much fun we've had playing with it at the moment um, and then from after that on point I'm on a, oh, just for the record I'm only doing that if I get the assassin <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, as long as you can stand there and go Leroy so many, so many games are ended early Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so so after that live stream is taking place where we're, we're giving the staff run through so we can show people at home what's going on um and then the tables will be opened up. We'll have two tables up uh, for most of the weekend all the way through to the Sunday afternoon where people can come in and, and have a go of this core game run through of, of Dark Souls. So um, people will be able to come and have a, groups of, uh, of up to four people and they'll basically be able to choose one of the core mini bosses, main bosses, maybe even some of the other ones we've got them available as well. They can select a boss to, to face at the end of the run and then they'll be able to do a run all the way from the bonfire all the way up to fighting that mini or main boss they've selected. So that's what we're, we're trying to get ready and it's looking like we're going to be able to have it ready and hoping people get pretty excited about that because it's pretty awesome to play with cool cool so uh let's see so this is, this is all taking place in uh leads apparently yeah so there's um so it's, 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 the, it's the lead head the Leeds Headingly experience, we've put, we've put on a couple of different ways of getting there. It's not too far away from motorway junctions, people are driving. There's a couple of train stations that are nearby as well. And there's I think there's even there's an, even an airport in Leeds that's not too bad for international flights. I think you can actually, we were checking out the different international routes. I think there's a flight from New York that goes to Leeds, which was really surprising. But, uh, but you know, for most, for, I think for some of our international people are mostly coming in, like most of our international finalists for the world finals, for instance, we're flying them into London. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to be brought up by train, for instance. But there's tons of different ways you can get into Leeds. It's, it's not a bad place for transport at all. And All they're right, basically and, just looking for a giant. And what giant is the, the Headingly experience? That sounds like a record. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, but yeah, you're looking for it. You're basically looking for the Leeds Rhino Stadium. I think it's called the Leeds Rhino Stadium. It's where they play. So it's Headingly yeah. Stadium next door, isn't it? Very good. Very good. Is it, yeah, the cricket club and the and the rugby club are back to back, aren't they? Because yeah, is it. it not the cricket club we're in, Headingly? Yeah, we're next door. We're next door to the Leeds Rhinos rugby, so we're, we are in the cricket yeah. club area. Yeah. 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 Very good. And the. The date, of course, is 
so it's the end of October, end of October, it's the end of November, sorry, it's not coming in October, you have nothing there. So it's <laughs> 20, 20, yeah, 24th to the 27th of November, the last weekend in November. Excellent, so, excellent. And uh, where do people go if they still want to uh, grab one of the tickets, whether it's a uh, qualifier ticket or just a general ticket? So that's be steamforge.com slash steamcon, or you can just go on the Steamforge website and there'll be a tab at the top where you can look for the Steamcon tab. And then basically there's a couple of different pages, overview for information, but there's one that calls Steamcon slash tickets as well. Well, I'll try to be there. <laughs> Although I, it, at well, this point, it if looks, you can make the effort, Phil, then yes, I think other people I, should as I well. I understand. At, at this point, my attendance may be more down to my being able to survive a. Uh, a few days with uh, certain other podcasters, but um, that's neither here nor there. So, uh, are they taking you out up north? Are they? Uh, yeah. Apparently, there's 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 talk of, of things that happen be behind dumpsters in in York that are are just dreadful. Well, you already you already know, Phil. As soon as somebody mentions Christmas lights and taking down, don't don't go anywhere near that stuff. <laughs> don't go anywhere near that. Don't go anywhere. Near, yeah. Yeah, stay away from the Christmas slides. And it's it's going to be that time of year. So uh, yeah. people are going to be putting them up and taking them down. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that escalated quickly. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming out and um, uh, sharing the uh, the SteamCon essentials. And we uh, we are looking forward ever so much to seeing as many of you all there as possible i can't wait how many tickets have we sold jamie so we're up to 120 tickets last time i checked plus we've uh, plus we've got i think it's about 10 of the of the guests being invited you know we've got our honored guest jerry from canada who basically set up all the canadian guild ball himself so we're bringing him over for free and we've got all our world finalists so including staff we'll probably have like 160 people-ish on site to come and just play some guild ball with all weekend and some dark souls so it should be awesome brilliant cool and that's just that's only as it stands as well. Come and buy some tickets and add to those numbers. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, that's uh, that sounds really rad. We're going to uh, we're going to have a great weekend. All right. So one thing that uh, we we try to remember sometimes is that uh, you know a certain number of the people who listen to the show on any given any given week are themselves going to be pretty new to the game and even for those of us who've been playing the game for a while sometimes it's nice to kind of remember or get reminded of uh maybe why it is we liked the game you know when we were first discovering it too so uh to that end i uh i recently found out that one of the one of the podcasters whose shows i've always uh enjoyed and respected has recently gotten into our game here uh guild ball and so i thought it might be fun to take the opportunity to bring him in and uh kind of get his first impressions about guild ball and uh you know see the game through uh through new eyes for the night so uh i will uh, i'll introduce uh steve mclaughlin who is uh from the intensify forward firepower podcast and the WWPD network, and uh, welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate that. It's good to uh, good to be seen as like a professional noob. Like I want to be a talking head, and I want to be the go-to noob. Like I want to be the yeah. guy they pull into games he doesn't know anything about, but always has something to say. That, well, you, you know? know, that's that is a job and an adventure. 
No, you just I, I just landed on my dream job finally after all these years. <laughs> I wish I had found mine. Uh, so uh, so yeah, so you uh, you're you're into Guild Ball now, I see. Yeah, we're we're relatively new to Guild Ball. I'm trying to think when I actually bought in. I guess it's been about three months ago, maybe a little less than that, but probably around three months ago. And it, the way it spread through my little game club is is really hilarious. You know, we're we're primarily uh, right now kind of the, the 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 group of dudes who I spend most of my time talking about gaming with are, are big into Armada right now. So the the Star Wars. Um, uh, capital ship combat game by Fantasy Flight, and we just we love sure. it. You know, we've all transitioned from kind of other tournament games like Flames of War and Bolt Action, and really have settled into Armada. It's we've really sunk our teeth in. But they kind of went through this lull where there weren't any new releases for a while, and the tournament scene had kind of tapered off for a bit. So you know, as all of us are, we're all you know gamers afflicted with horrible ADD. And I, I distinctly remember one of the guys posted in our chat. His name's Dan Colon. He's an awesome dude, Dan Colon. And, uh, <laughs> and he, he, he posted a link to Guild Ball. And right. I remember seeing the Kickstarter and just patently ignoring it. Just be like, yep, nope, not for me. And I've never enjoyed a sports game. Like, uh, well, to be fair, I don't even know if I played any. I'd never played Blood Bowl or anything. But the, the idea had never even remotely uh, uh, appealed to me. Right. And so he, he posted a link, and we were all like, dude, whatever. Get out of here with that. We don't want to see that. And then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> over the course of 24 hours, one of the dudes cracked. I was like, guys, I actually started reading about this and, like, watching videos and stuff. Uh, probably productive time spent at work, I'm sure. But I hope <laughs> nobody we work with is listening. And and you know, and he was like, you know what? I, I actually think I'm I'm probably just going to pick up a team. I think this looks really cool. And probably within 48 hours of that initial post in our little secret chat room, I'm pretty sure every single one of us had ordered an army or a team, at least one, possibly yeah. two. You know, we're diving in on videos and how to play, and right. we're completely like from absolute disinterest to all in. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know, and and it's. One thing that has to be said is, and, and you make it clear there, it's an easy game to it's an easy game to pick up, right? I mean, it's got uh, it's got a very low buy-in point, and it's got very accessible materials. You know, you're able to get rule books, cards, all that stuff just by downloading. And then, of course, uh, our our media community, I think, has done a pretty good job of putting a decent number of of videos and, and podcasts and, and blogs out there to. To, to help folks in your shoes out, you know, at least I hope we have. Yeah, I, I actually think the cost of entry, if you will, not not including money, because you know they, they they got their money's worth out of me, but the 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 sort of ease of entry mm -hmm. was very low, and and I really think that the way that Steamforged has uh, sort of shaped. Um, the the way new players can get into the game really did them a huge service. With my, I mean, I can guarantee just my little group of friends probably dropped. I mean, being conservative, probably well over two thousand right. dollars, and all of that I think is because we were all so impressed by, hey, you know, just go download the rules, go read them, yeah. go download those. We're all rules guys. We're pretty competitive dudes. You know, we want to read the rules. We don't want to have to buy a rule book to play. Mm -hmm. And then you know what? Well, let me see what these what these guys look like. Oh, cool! All the cards can be downloaded. All right. Well, I want to see how it plays out on the on the board. And you know, at least one of us printed out the paper dolls. And it's yeah. like, man. That's a really cool thing for a company to do. I mean, you could play Guild Ball having spent zero dollars, you know, which is awesome. And of course, it hooked us because we didn't spend zero dollars. We instead <laughs> spent several hundred dollars each. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, and and that's you know that that's something that that I think that we can 
we can definitely be proud of is that you know we've got it we've got a game here that that is just so easy to pick up and uh can can generate that excitement so fast and can can just you know spread like an infection through groups you know we see that time and again where one person in a in a game group just you know gets that gets the itch for for this game by seeing it online and then it's just so so easy for their for their friends to to go along with <laughs> yeah and before yeah. you know it you've got a, a, a you know a group of dedicated guild ballers yeah i think that's exactly it and you know i, I just speaking personally what drew me to it wasn't the world and it, it wasn't the fact that it was sports although i on both of those i have since like fully gotten into like mm-hmm. you know I, I before i didn't care about the world at all and now i'm really looking forward to the the, the card game it's called shadow games i think yes you know like <laughs> And uh, and there's one guy in our group. His name is Eric. He's like he's big into the lore. He's been reading every page of it and everything. But uh, <laughs> but but what drew me into it was really the mechanics. I mean, those mechanics are incredibly refreshing. It's a very modern game. You know, I'm sure it shares some similarities to other games that I've played, but have just kind of turned me off. Like I played War Machine, a like maybe a demo and maybe one other game, and something about it just didn't connect with me. But this game, I, I you know what I think it was. I think that it's a really, really tight rule set mm-hmm. that takes the rules are very serious and very well uh, developed and, and, and well rounded in, in a game that when you take a step back is pretty silly. Like, <laughs> we're playing soccer. Oh, but by the way, I've got harpoons and like axes and stuff. That's sure. I'm so sold on silly stuff like that that it, it, it did it for me, man. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's yeah, it. It's it's a game that really it walks that line well between this is serious and this is ridiculous. Exactly, without, and I, without I tipping it. its hat in either direction. Yeah, absolutely right. Like every you know, they approach the joke. Uh, not that it's necessarily a joke, but they approach the concept straight faced. Like mm-hmm. there's really nothing tongue in cheek about it. It's just you have to kind of take a step back and say, yeah, but these are dudes who are killing each other over you know over kicking a ball around. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. It's fantastic. But but they, but you know the the way they present the game and the way they present the lore isn't really like wink wink nudge nudge. It's mm-hmm. not like hey we get it. This is silly. It's all like dead serious. Yeah. It, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean they've just they really they really hit something here. It's it's great rule set, great universe, accessible. It's just fantastic. So what was uh, what was your learning curve like? What you know how many how many games did you did you feel like it took to, oh to get a grip on things you know how many how many things did you have to look up um you know that i think we're the kind of guys who tend to devour a rule set pretty quickly but that being said it was probably 5 or 6 games before i really felt like i could play I could play it without the rule book, you know, constantly being open. Would right. occasionally look things up, and there were things we got wrong. I'm trying to think specifically. I think we were a little confused sometimes on some of the way the templates were set up. Like sometimes you measure from the center, and sometimes not. Like we, you know, right, that right. that kind of stuff took us a little bit uh, to wrap our heads around. Right. Um, but for me, the the hard part is, and, and I find this stressful. This is just me personally. I'm the kind of guy that likes to know everything about a game so like when you come to the table with a with a list 
like in Flames War and Armada, the other games I play, I know like every card and have pretty much every stat line. So you come to the table and I can look at your army. And I'm not saying I'm so good that I can like know what you're going to do, but I at least won't be surprised. Like, oh, that thing does what? But in this yeah. game, <laughs> I barely even know what my own guys do. And I'm, <laughs> I'm 30 games in or so. I actually flew out to New York to be with my friend Judson for a weekend, just out of the blue, like, hey, one Friday, I'm going to fly up there. I was at his house for like, you know, three days and we did nothing but play Guild Ball. And I... I think I lost my mind a little bit. Like, I think I went a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I've been there. I've been there. So, yeah. what, uh, what, what is your favorite, uh, what, what's your favorite mechanic in Gobo? What is it that, that stands out to you that makes it uh, different from other games and, and marvelously so in your estimation? Sure. I think I think it's the momentum system. I just I really like the way that works and the way that it sort of um, can force a little bit of timing uh, around things, and it also can sort of force uh, it sort of guides rather teams into playing their archetype by rewarding them for doing what their team does well. Like yeah, I'm thinking about yeah. the fish, you know, their their playbooks are very rewarding for doing dodgy things, and the butchers are rewarding for doing damage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so not only is it a cool mechanic just in general in the game, I like how it, that's sort of used as the, the railroad to make teams play, I want to say historical, because I'm a historical <laughs> gamer, but you know they play the way you expect them to in some ways, Sure, which is really cool. I, yeah, I, I really like that mechanic, but there's a lot to like about the game, really. Well, well is, there, is, there a, is there a mechanic that, that you find frustrating or, or, or off-putting at all? Mm, good question. I, you know, I don't, I don't find it necessarily frustrating, but I, I never much like when you can have that one man army. Like, there's a lot of, a lot of captains or, or even some other players where, okay, they're loading up six and uh, six. Um, uh, oh God, what's it called? Influence. Like, yeah, six influence now. They're loading six influence on that guy. He's about to knock out a model and score a goal or something. You know, yeah. that that's the one thing that I'm kind of like, it'd be cool if everyone had a lower ceiling. I could only have two or three, but, you know, but, but that's that's the only thing that I guess I've ever found a little bit like, yep, here comes his, his you know, one-man show to, yeah. to wreck everything. I, I, I can't argue with you there. I'm, I, I get frustrated playing with and against six influence captains. It's a, it's a running gag for me, so. Right, right. I'm not, good, I'm not going to discredit you at all for, for that yeah. observation. Like, like when uh, when the new when the new uh, butcher captain came out, and what's her name? Not fillet. Yeah, fillet, yeah. or fillet, or whatever. She's just it's, like. It's, it I mean, you can on who you ask, right? I'm saying fillet because that looks like a, a nice cut, nice cut of meat. Oh, okay. You know, uh, when uh, God, that sounds horribly sexist. I did not mean it that way. <laughs> that did not come out right. That did not come out right. <laughs> fillet of fish. There you go. There you go. Maybe that's even worse. Anyways, she like she could just murder. Now I think now you know part of that is you like when I first brought her out and people didn't really know what she was capable of. You you can start to mitigate, so it's not as powerful. But those first couple games where she's like, yeah, I just dropped like four people and one activation. Yeah, those can get a little a little ugly. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, it's. Filet is 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 a, is a topic of of conversation with a lot of groups right now. Between oh, is that. she? <laughs> yeah, there's there there's there's a few captains in the game that uh, the uh, the question of how to to deal with them is is always uh, always pressing and. Mm-hmm. 
the amazing thing about the game, though, is even despite all that, if you go and, and you look at the, the the competitive stats, yes, they've managed to they've managed to keep everybody really close to, you know, really close to fifty percent. Yeah. So just as a point of feedback for them, actually looking at that chart, the the company seems very strongly. Do, do they release those stats? Because I feel like I found it on their website. Uh, it may have been linked. The the yeah. most of the the data comes from uh, the the Black Orifice website, which is uh, you know friends of the show, and they uh, they've put a lot of work into their into their collection and their formulas. Gotcha. Uh, and there is there is some data collection through the tiebreak um, tournament software as well, mm. but it is not as public as the the unofficial rankings. Gotcha. But but yeah, so what what had really pushed me over the edge was uh, I saw some infographic that showed that that percentage you're talking about, mm-hmm. but then also read about how evidently the engineers at one time weren't performing all that well, so the company put a bounty out for people <laughs> to win with them at tournaments. I mean, yes. I, I don't you, you probably know the details on that, but I was like, man, cool. what a cool thing to do. Like rather than come out and say, okay, we're going to errata this and we're going to fix that. They just said, hey, you know what? Why don't you guys see if you can figure it out and we'll reward you for doing that. That's yeah. some very modern thinking in a, in a game, I think. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> that You know, I, I was totally like, man, great move, guys. That was fantastic. I immediately then went back to the Dark Souls Kickstarter as a big fan of that, uh, of the Dark Souls universe. So sure. Steamforge really, uh, they really made an impression on me and my group. I can say that. Yep, yep. Yeah, we uh, we are all waiting uh, waiting for that Dark Souls game to come out. I'm sure uh, you guys are as well. Oh yeah, we uh, we hear good things. And uh, uh, at Gen Con, I was not able to get a demo of it <laughs> because oh, yeah. was a line 6, long. Thousand people were getting sure. demos of it. Sure. So even even my my uh, even my privileged status was not enough to get near that table. But you know that that was another one that I was just sold on by the mechanics. Yeah. I went watched that video. I was like, man, just what cool mechanics! What what mm-hmm. a great way to capture the way the game feels. I mean, they've clearly got some very forward thinking, very modern game designers yeah. in play there. I, I love it. Well, I'm sure that the that the guys will be will be very pleased to hear <laughs> to hear the compliment. <laughs> cool. They are. Uh, yeah, I just think of them as fun to hang out with. But yeah, they they uh, they, they make a good game too, I guess. So, uh, so what are you playing? What what teams did did you settle on? So I spent a, a little, uh, I spent a couple of days kind of researching. I, I tend to be kind of an enabler. Like I, I have a lot of people who game at my house. You know, a lot of weeknights and stuff. Like after work, people will come over and play. And a, sure. I have a very understanding wife who's like more than okay with that. And I'm sure part of that is that she goes to bed at like eight thirty. So. She kind of doesn't care about what happens after that, but but she's awesome and, and is very enabling there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided, I, I think in order to kind of help socialize the game, I'm going to pick two teams that sort of represent opposite ends of the spectrum. So I did a little bit of research, you know, before I knew absolutely anything at all. So I wound up getting the the butchers and the fishermen. Right, right, um, right. So they, they kind of became my go-to. And initially I hated the fishermen. Like I, I could not make them work. Right. So I, I really I really hated them. Um, but I mean, when I say for initially, I mean like for the first couple of games, it's like I just can't make these guys work. I, I did and still hate Angel, but once I kind of expanded out the player list a little and, and got better with the rules and understanding what made them work, the Fish are definitely now my my favorite team. Right, they're just right. a blast. They're 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 awesome. 
Well, and, and that's that's a very common sentiment among new players is that you you kind of come in, and the, the the combat game is sort of the most direct path and and the the path that kind of makes the most sense. Yeah, right? it's it's the most it resonated the most with me as mm-hmm. as a war gamer, as a historical war gamer. And I, honestly, you know, this is probably outing myself a little bit like I know next to nothing about sports, you know. I'm I'm not going to make any dumb sports ball jokes, but I'm kind of yeah. like I don't really I don't really look at this and think, "Okay, we got to have a strong defense stuff." So, it's been kind of fun learning what tactics work for this game as opposed to like a traditional war game, and it's it's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. So, yeah, so and then, you know, the it it's it's pretty much usually the case that the the, the football comes along after the the beat down, you know. So, your your trajectory is is pretty much right on right on target. So, you should not uh, should not feel bad about that at all. All right, good. I don't because yeah, it, it was funny. Like you know, probably our first maybe four or five games maybe had one or two goals scored, and they were kind of goals of opportunity or something. Yeah, and then yeah. then we probably shifted hard the other way where we were like only going for the goal. And I, I think now we've kind of figured out that middle ground. <laughs> well, I will tell you that the very first game of Guild Ball I played back during the 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 early beta. May have even been while the Kickstarter was still going on. The the first point scored was a goal by Flint, and really I haven't uh, developed my tactics much beyond that since. I just I rely a lot on goals by Flint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Flint's awesome. So, uh, what what what's your next team? Do you think you're gonna keep? Oh, uh, yeah, I think I I will probably buy a third. Although I did I, I managed to snag some of the new uh, mascots from Gen Con, so I've got the. The, the octopus, whatever his name is again, and, and truffles. So I, I got to paint those up, and then I'll, I'll have my collection complete. I think I have everything released. I know the veteran models are coming out soon, too. I don't have them. Right, so right. once I'm done painting those, I got to make my decision on, you know, what's next. And I, I'm not really sure. Uh, I kind of, I think I, when I bought the two teams on kind of the opposite ends of the spectrum, I think I got the, the guys who are good at playing ball and the guys who are good at right. killing. But I think I missed the other piece of the triangle, which is really kind of the, the control AOE type. So I may go with Alchemist to just kind of round out that trio. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, but something I about mean, the Morticians really really is drawing me. Well, uh, the, the Morticians are very, uh, very popular right now. Yeah, for me it's because they look like Bloodborne characters or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. The uh, I'm not I'm not much for control play in in games. I tend to I tend to be a little bit more direct. And for the longest time, you know, I said that that the Morticians were the team I was least interested in. They were actually the last team that I painted, um, not including like the Hunters, obviously that came out later. Right. And one day I was just sitting there looking at my my assortment of models, and I just sort of randomly decided that after all of that, they were the team that I was most happy with the the paint jobs on. Oh yeah, and and I just sort of went, you know, went down this all in on the all in on the morticians uh, uh, phase for a while, and. They're, uh, you know, they're 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 a fun team without having to play them as the, you know, the jerks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, you can 
you could do a lot with them and they do they are i mean those are just those are just nice models yeah they look fantastic and you know i don't really follow the guild ball community closely or anything but i did see i guess they kind of swept gen con is that right like uh, there were a lot of them at the end. Uh, there, there weren't uh, necessarily uh, more of them uh, at the beginning, <laughs> but there were a right. lot of them at the end. And gotcha. uh, started a little bit of a little bit of a controversy. Uh, won't uh, won't lie. Yeah. But uh, I think that there is not the 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 idea that the game is is still pretty well pretty well executed and pretty well balanced has definitely prevailed and the the sentiment is more that uh you know you need to to learn to work around the morticians as opposed to you know OMG the morticians are broke it's, sure it's people sort of realize that it's a it is a a, a, pro, a solvable problem rather than a um, an unsolvable problem. But uh, you know the the fact is we do have a a, a little re- bit of a rebalancing phase coming up uh, in season three. Oh, is there going to be some some shifting in season three? I, I have no idea about what's coming up. So yeah, they you know they, they're they're taking notes. And, cool. uh, you know, so we can expect, uh, you know, a, a game that's only two years old is going to is going to have some going to have some growing pains. And they've managed to keep their errata really <coughs> to a shocking minimum, given how new the game is uh, for it to be so competitive and not require hot fixes. Yeah, man. I mean, I've been playing competitive games a long time and you know, I've never seen a game without a something rising to the top, you know, within a within a sort of the economy of a game, you know, where things are balanced by points or, or in this case they're not necessarily balanced by points, but you know, they kind of are. I mean, you're not you're not building a, a team with points, but you're building a team with positions. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. it's basically still the same idea. You know, something is going to rise to the top. People are always going to find something whether that's whether that's, that's because it's correct mechanically or because it sort of, you know, becomes this meme in people's heads or whatever, you know, it kind of kind of permeates. I hate to use the term meta, but it's pretty appropriate there. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's 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 standard. I mean, it's, you know, it's certainly not a surprise. It happens in Armada and I consider Armada to be a very well-balanced game as well, so, you know, it it, it certainly happens. Yeah. I don't think it's anything to get too alarmed about. It's just, <laughs> you know, as long as it doesn't become totally rampant and doesn't get fixed, it can be a problem, but no, and uh, you know the the uh, Jamie Perkins and and the rest of the of the balance guys have uh, have definitely got their eye on the game. And it, if something were to get out of hand, it would be it would definitely be addressed. You know, we would not have a situation where the 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 competition was invalidated by unexpected circumstances. But sure. To their credit, you know we're we're two years in and uh, it's not happened. So yeah, yeah, good for good for us, good for them. You know, uh, all I know is people still go to tournaments <laughs> and they still bring a little bit of everything. Yeah, man. Yeah, that, that's, that's how that, that's that's a sign of a healthy tournament yeah, game, yeah. I guess. So, are you looking forward to uh, getting into the tournament scene? You know, I don't know. I go back and forth. I mean, I already play tournaments for other stuff pretty much and so 
I feel like in order to be good at a tournament scene, I'm going to need to devote a little more time to Guild Ball, and I would say it's kind of solidly my number two miniature game right now. You oh, know, very nice. Um, so I don't know. It kind of depends. My, my gaming schedule tends to be pretty hectic. I'm not opposed to it, but I'm also not like champing at the bit for it. I am sure. a tournament gamer. Like I like playing in tournaments. I like meeting new people and stuff. So I'm certainly not opposed to it. So. I don't know what that trigger point would be where I say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go play one of these. And actually, I was thinking about, you know, I live in Richmond, Virginia, so just about two hours south. I was thinking about heading up to that one at Huzzah that's going on, I think, next weekend. But uh, There's, uh, well, my, my co-host, Bill, who is the, the Northern Virginia uh, contingent here, uh, he would be... He would be upset with me if I did not work in a plug for his Huzzah Fall Brawl up there at the Huzzah Hobbies. And that is on October 15th, if my if my notes are correct. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember I saw that. Someone linked me that, but I just can't make that week. That's actually my wife's birthday. So oh, as permissive as she time. is, yeah, permissive as she is about gaming, I think I'm going to. Yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and sit that one out, but uh, you know I've been to Huzzah plenty of times. Love those guys. I think Chris is the store owner. He's a really nice guy. I've had played many a tournament up there, so I'm certainly not opposed to it. Um, well, hopefully they will see you at the see you at the next one. You know, there's you're you're lucky you're lucky in that that Northern Virginia group uh, was you know maybe the second real cluster of Gilball players in the U.S. Oh yeah. And they um, they've got a lot of experience. They've got a good they've got a good steady community with lots of bodies playing the game. So you know you're you're close to the action up there. And, yeah, that's pretty uh, awesome. That definitely yeah, I, helps. I think I'm on the Facebook group, so I do like keep up with you know kind of what people are doing up there. It's kind of cool, yeah. kind of a passing interest. But yeah, I'm certainly not opposed to playing in a tournament for it. So <laughs> perhaps one of these days I will. Well, groovy, groovy. So what? Uh, what do you think your your overall uh, long term prognosis is with Guild Ball? Is it a, it is a is it a fad for your group, or do you think that this is something that's going to that's going to bite in and and, and yeah, stick around? I, I think it's going to stay solidly our number two game. I think I think Armada is still going to be our number one. We're all just huge Star Wars nerds and yeah. so have invested a lot into that game. But uh, but yeah, Guild Ball is still. I think it's going to remain probably our number two, and I think I think our interest level will wax and wane probably at the whims of Fantasy Flight's release schedule for Armada, you know, and the, the tournament scene around that. But um, I think you know, I, I think it's uh, I think it's going to keep going strong, and I, I I can really see the game getting very popular in the states, sure. and I you know I I think I think we're going to see people kind of catch on to hey, this is a really well balanced game. Mm-hmm. Now it's got a really good tournament scene. The cost of entry is pretty low. Very few models to paint for those of you who don't like painting. Conversely, excellent models for people who do like painting. So it's it's kind of got something for everybody. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think Guild Ball will be around for a long time, and I think it'll be around for a long time in my game group. Well, awesome, awesome. Well, I do uh, I do appreciate your uh, stopping by, and it was. Uh, it was fun to get a chance to uh, to talk to you after after listening to you talk about things uh, so many times. <laughs> yeah, man. Why don't you, you uh, let people know what where they can hear your uh, your other efforts? 
Sure. Yeah, you can uh, you can find us on the web at wwpd.net where we've got mostly historical miniature games, so Bolt Action and Flames of War. Uh, we've also got a handful of uh, articles around Armada, some board games and things like that. You can find my Armada podcast at iff.podbean.com or just search around for Intensify Ford Firepower. It's a very ridiculous podcast with lots of very thinly veiled, not safe for work content, yet it is safe for work. So, uh, good. You know, <laughs> that, that's our, our selling point. That's terrible. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, thank you so much for having me, man. It's been been fun to talk about Guild Ball. You, you've actually got me uh, inspired to go try to get a game in now <laughs> again. Well, I, then my work here is done. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, thanks again. You bet. Thanks for coming by. All right, it, so what is it? My turn to talk. <laughs> it's never your turn to talk. But. All right, so <laughs> all right, three, two, one. I'm leaving that in. All right, so uh, welcome back to uh, welcome back to the uh, to the us part of the show. Now that I've completely lost my train of thought. Thanks, Bill. We will. You're so uh, welcome. Anytime. All right, so now it's time for uh, my favorite part of the show. Is because we know Bill's favorite part of the show apparently is the monkey music, so I'm gonna have to find a way to get that back into the end of the show. Uh, so let's uh, let's do some Twitter questions. <laughs> All right. So uh, our first uh, question is from J Mountain eighty two, who asks a two parter. Uh, he asked, "Do you think we'll see a new set of cards, uh, plot cards, in season three? And is there one you'd like to see? So, uh, the first part is the easy part, and that is that we will definitely see a new set of plot cards in Season 3. It has been said uh, several times in several places that the annual plot card renewal is a is yep. a uh, an expectation for competitive play. And uh, so we will definitely be seeing those. But really, the second part of the question is the one that I find much more interesting, and that is what... What is a plot card that uh, that you would add to the game, Bill? If you could, if you could be in charge of one of the cards for season three. Okay, now let's let's be entirely honest here. The plot card I would add is, um, you know, requirement. <laughs> you are playing gutter on the field. Uh, result. Um, well, yeah, you know, Gutter gets her six-inch uh, chain grab back. <laughs> uh, and I mean game-wide, not just in my game. Oh, okay. It would just it would just, right? it would just happen it's for the rest for, of the world. Yeah, it would okay. just, you know, first person to play that. <laughs> gets, gets Gutter's range back. All right, well, that's fair enough. No, I am, um, on a more serious note, I, I like... I, I liked the move, and I like the move they made from season one to season two on the plot cards. I thought that was very cool. They became a bit more subtle overall, not as direct impacting. Um, I would like to see some of that more direct impact come back into the game. Not necessarily don't touch the hair, <laughs> but I do know there's a number of plot cards um, from season one and with season one type effects that were included in the big league mm -hmm. that while they are not taken all the time are definitely nice little touches to the game. So, mm -hmm. you know, more specifically than that, what types of things would I like to see? Um, 
you know, I, I like the idea of, of extra dodges, something that gives an extra dodge in there uh, for something. Um, while the current uh, get it back gives you a momentum, you know, when you when you lose, when you get tackled, I actually preferred the plot cards that, I'm trying to remember the name of the season one plot card, that actually let you make a counterattack for free. Oh, you know, right, yeah. little little things like that. Um, response, I think. Yeah, um, you know, maybe a plot card that says, um, yeah, I don't know. Since it's a plot card and it can come up only, only once in a game, and it has to be dealt out of the deck, maybe something that says, you know, if you're if the if if a friendly model is engaging an enemy model and the enemy model triggers unpredictable movement, dodge two inches directly <laughs> towards that model. <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, no escape or something like that. Right, right, right. You know, and again, these are things that I don't think would be game breaking, but definitely would add that touch that the plot cards are supposed sure, to bring sure. back to the game. Yeah, I do like the idea of plot cards having a functionality that directly challenges some of the gotcha moments in the game. That's. That's something that some of the plot cards have always done well in the past, and I think that that is something I would want to see them continue to do in the future. But for my part, what I would want is the plot card that I could most use is one that says um, you can add an extra quarter inch to your uh, (laughs) kick range because I have an uncanny ability to park my uh my strikers about a quarter inch too far away from the goal and that is it is constant and it is infuriating and so 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 phil you know this is a pre-measure game right it is (laughs) (laughs) okay and if and if i would pre-measure anything it would be a step in the right direction i mean i had this i had i just had this come up last thursday when i was playing the uh the uh the infamous byron sanchex of uh of uh byron sanchex fame and grayscale somehow managed to be a quarter inch too far away from the goal because i just do this all the time and sometimes (laughs) sometimes it's not because I didn't pre-measure, it's just that I'll be pre-measuring and realize that just due to geometry, I'm just too far away. I just, I always seem to be too far away. I don't get it. So, uh, yeah, it was a really good game. I lost, but man, it was a really good game. I actually Is played that the somehow a hidden, a hidden joke about being used to playing with longer equipment? <laughs> no, believe me, I could use an extra quarter of inch in every part of my life. So, uh... Yes, yeah, so I think that that's definitely the, the plot card that I would add. It would just be uh, you fail at measuring, and here's an extra quarter inch. So, all right, nice. very good. So the the next question that we've got on the really big show is uh, uh, our buddy Siski from Ireland asks, um, "How would you define a ruined structure that players can enter?" So he's talking about like a uh, a ruined building. Uh, which is a, a pretty common piece of wargaming terrain and certainly something that you're going to see pop up on guild ball tables from time to time. Now, uh, I know that, that he was thinking of having it be an obstacle under certain circumstances and a barrier under others, but I think my answer to this question 
is just to simply call it a forest. Right? I like, I like that answer, but let me ask you this. Would you allow Theron to see through it and Hearn to jump into it? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so maybe the maybe the effect uh, aesthetically is not as intended, but if you know in advance that, that this ruin is going to be defined as a forest and you had the option to put a normal forest out on the field instead, <laughs> which would have benefited the hunter player. I mean, obviously, if if you're playing against the hunters, you want to keep that in mind when you're placing terrain. Uh, as much as you want to keep terrain in mind when you're playing, you know, a tower or a um, or uh, oh, what's his face that gives me nothing but fits over on the Brewers. Uh, Steve. The fire breathing guy. Oh, you're talking about Stoker. 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 God. Yes. Yeah, I only forget his name because because he deserves to have his name forgotten. Um <laughs> only because he couldn't Alright, so I had this game against Steve Newton one time on Basel where I, I spent my entire the entire game in something like 40 something influence trying to kill Hoist and I couldn't, and it was mostly oh. Stoker's fault. So I've kind of erased him from my mind. But I had defined the win condition of that game as killing hoist, and I still lost. So, um... <laughs> okay, okay. Fair enough. Hoist is... Hoist, hoist is, is Hoist is a... Just... Uh, forget him. Anyway. Um, uh, and then uh, Alex Hall laughed at us uh, through the entire game. It was good, good times. All right, so... Um, yeah, so I, I I do think that just the calling it a forest would would just simplify your life so much, and it would achieve the effect. You know, you've got a lot of, of vertical structure, you've got a lot of uh, irregular, if not random, structure going on, and bad footing. So I think I think that covers it well. Now, in the uh, in the game that I just played on Thursday against Bayern, we actually had a house on the field, and the the foreground houses I use, you can actually lift off the roof, and people can go into them. And so we had actually um, very briefly talked about entering the house and leaving the house effects in Gilball and just kind of decided that we didn't want to deal with it at the time. But I do think that especially in casual play, where anything goes anyway, uh, interesting new terrain effects is is good territory maybe for somebody to do some, uh, some high-quality blogging, I think. Yeah. Uh, that's a... Uh, that is a hint to everybody out there. So uh, go ahead and think about things like that, and we'll see what we, we'll see what we can do. So uh, why don't we get to our next question? As the show uh, is now well past two hours. All right. <laughs> so um, Doc Bungle asks, uh, with the attrition being the Fighting Fish team. Who would be in your footballing butchers team? So, what do you think, Bill? Is 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 this is this level of affront to nature not too much at this point that we are having? I, you know, fighting fish. I, I think this brewers? is the team that uh, Loxham needs to create to pay back uh, <laughs> Mr. Hart for the abomination that is uh, nutritionman. <laughs> um, so. You know what, this uh, this answer, I think, well, not I think, this answer changes from when we originally t- spoke about this early, early, early on. No, for one thing, we didn't have 
a second uh, captain and a veteran brisket, right? Right, right. So, from a captain standpoint, I'm going fillet all the way. Yeah. Uh, fillet has a momentous tackle on one. Fillet has quick foot to give herself two extra inches. Mm-hmm. Uh, her move of seven nine, so she's got a walk of seven inches, and then situationally, anybody who's bleeding between her and the goal gives her an additional one inch dodge. So, you know, all all good things from a striker standpoint, and then she's gonna boot it in with that three six kick. Yeah, yeah. Um, Although I will say, in Ox's defense, he does have a three six kick. That is true. That is true. He is not. Um, he is not hopeless on this team. He's just not as good as. Uh, <laughs> he's just not as good as Fillet at this team. Yeah, I. I mean, I, I know you like him, and I think you know it looks like he can. He can handle his own. But overall, I just think Fillet. Yeah. She, she has those tools to to add that extra movement that a striker is going to mm-hmm. look at. Well, now, let me ask you this about Fillet in a footballing team. Does does playing a this playing a team that is going for goals make her no longer a six influence captain. I don't. Uh, or does the game is the game unchanged if she has six influence? Where what she's going to ultimately end up doing is trying to get you four or eight points, and then oh, let's tack on a goal. Going yeah. footballing team. I I think I think on those kill, there's going to be turns where she's just going to go wild. Uh, but when we go through the rest of, of the team I'm looking at, there's not a lot of bleed in the team. So that's mm-hmm. why I say very specifically situationally, mm-hmm. right? Because um, Princess is where I'm going for for a mascot, but I'm going with Princess over Truffles specifically for the momentous tackle on one. Right, right. Yeah, she is, now, she is going to be a bit of a, your ball hawk on this team. That's, yeah. that's a good fact. Now, she can pump out bleed using blood, but, you know, eh, not so much. For me, when I look at brisket and veteran brisket, this is a tough choice. However, I think since I'm looking at ball scoring, since I'm looking at the uh, – what would this be called? The filetman? Fil- no, the 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 <laughs> they, the, but- the butcherman, right? Um, the the fisher flanks. I don't the, know. The sausage passers. I don't know. <clears throat> the sausage passers. Uh, well, that's perfect. So on the sausage passers or sausage handlers, <laughs> I'm looking at brisket. Uh, base brisket. Not- sausage handlers is probably so good <laughs> and so bad at the same time. I just don't want to get into that. But that's yeah. I, I think I think you've I think you've hit you've hit it on the uh, you've hit the nail. As, yeah. as, yes. As <laughs> um, yeah. I'm using base brisket. I'm using base brisket because the super shot again momentous tackle on one. I mean, so far on three players, we have three players who can all momentously take the ball from you. Uh, pretty on on really easy results. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super shot sends regular brisket up to a four ten kick. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking at just a just a full on striker there, and then unpredictable movement makes her a bit better at you know that and Charmail especially make her a bit better at holding onto the ball. Um, you got to put Shank in. He, yeah, and Shank is probably your best two-way player in the team. Even though he's only got the two-six kick, he is so uh, that people just score so many goals with him already. 
even yes. with that two because the bonus time kick is three six and yeah. he's got the range he's, much like he's got the yeah. right the where they go he's now he doesn't have a tackle on one but he has a tackle on two also momentous right yeah he's got to be in that team i mean he's got to um, be in every butcher's team right but i mean he's got to be in this butcher's team <laughs> well well as i agree he does yeah i mean he's everywhere now here i think is the one that most people aren't going to think about and it's a play that's not used much i knew it drops your influence some but I would go with Tenderizer next. Okay. Okay. And the reason I go with Tenderizer is Seismic Kick and Rush Keeper. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking at protecting my goal anytime the opponent gets back to return yeah. that kick, being able to charge. And then once I get the ball, you can get having it out. An, right, an yeah. eight inch, not interceptable kick. Right, that is that is a nice uh, way to dig the ball out. I mean, and he definitely have a role in in this team because you do sort of have to protect your own goal while your your players are out there doing something they're not supposed to be doing. Right. So he, um, he definitely is in the conversation. Now, did we ever decide whether we're doing regular brisket or veteran brisket, though? Yeah, I would do regular brisket. Simply I think I would lean that way as well. I mean, veteran brisket does have quick time, which gives her a little bit extra dodge threat. And she does have her cool, you know, above and beyond ability. But at the end of the day, I, I just generally lean towards old brisket because whether it's because I know her so well and kind of know what she's capable of or not. Um, I, I think I lean that direction too, to be honest. Yeah. Now, for the last player, I'm actually going to go out of guild to union. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I would, I'd be heading that way as well. Probably. Yeah. There is one exception, but we can get into that. Yeah, I. so I'm looking at Decimate. Yeah, fair. I mean, 3-6 kick, fast. She's got the uh, second, wind. second wind, which is going to be huge for this team. I mean, she's a really hard one to pass up for, for a, a kicking team. Absolutely. <laughs> And, and I got to say, what's kind of interesting here is uh, you basically have, uh, you know, two guys and uh, the three or the four women out. And the real question is, who gets Princess? I think that is Tenderizer. I think Shank gets the uh, three girls and, you know, <laughs> Tenderizer's left with the dog. <laughs> I, 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 have you not read the fluff, Bill? <laughs> okay, you're right. So, I have. And speaking of, I do it, think so. <laughs> I do think you could you have to talk about Meat Hook in this lineup because she is a butcher's player with a three six kick. But right now her her one four influence is just killing her. It's tough, yeah. Um I mean she, again, she has that momentous tackle on two mm -hmm. uh she but one inch reach and one influence on the team. Right. I, I think decimate is the better way to go there. Yeah, and you know, the the only other argument I would make for for Meat Hook is still just that she's the butcher with pushes. Yep. And in a kicking team, sometimes repositioning to open up your lanes is just so important. Although it, it, it is interesting to try to do that with pushes instead of dodges, which is the way that most other kicking teams do that job. Right. But having played quite a bit of Brewer Ball lately, running my uh, my Esters with uh, uh, with Spigot and Friday and Mash lineup, yep. 
uh, going the other way and doing pushes to to open my lanes instead of dodges to to get out of your reach is is definitely something I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with right now. So so Meat Hook is very tempting. I think I think I would be looking at swapping her maybe with Tenderizer because I think Decimate is necessary. I think Shank is necessary. I think Brisket is necessary. So really, it's that last slot that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's either going to go to. Uh, probably either going to go to tenderizer or meat hook or if you know if you wanted her gutter could fit in there just as well true true and gutter you know has the momentum she has a good kick she's got you know she's fast um she definitely fits into this team and then still acts like a butcher yeah absolutely absolutely so you know, I uh, they can do it. You know, we said we said a year ago when, when we when we talked about this the first time that you could play this team. Uh, it was it was less of a stretch then, and I think was wasn't the question we had something like, "Is it harder for butchers to get three goals than it is for fishermen to get yep. six takeouts?" So we we kind of talked about this concept back then with that question, and I still think that it's easier for butchers to get three goals. Then fishermen to get six takeouts, even with the attritionmen. I mean, they're still they're still a team that that wants, if not needs, to score a goal or two. Uh, they just make it as painful on everybody as possible. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I I do think this is actually the easier ask on butchers, and I do think that they've got the personnel to do it. I mean, you know, we we just did that, and the way things stand right now, we only we're including one union player. So it's not even like this isn't a thing that the butchers can do. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, I think it'd be and, a fun and, team. And it would be a as, fun team to play. What we went into before, as I went into before, just cause you put a union player on there. doesn't make it not a butcher's team. No, no, no. The point, the point is just that it's not, it's not beyond the, the brief of the, the butchers players right. to play this game. Absolutely. Well, all right. Well, I think that is our, uh, those are three Twitter questions for the week. And I don't want this to become a a death march of a show. So I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up there. So, uh, Bill, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming and making a podcast. And Phil, play that monkey music. (laughs) I'll find a place for it. You know, if, 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 uh, (laughs) if I would would make the effort to to renew and and refresh the uh the club and tournament list we'd have a lot more reason to play the monkey music (laughs) but i will find a place for it nonetheless all right my friend thanks for coming in and we will see all of you our lovely listeners and ugly ones too and uh in a couple of weeks for more uh guild ball tonight tonight knees up Watch the knives. To join the conversation, comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Phil can also be heard on the Game Punting Podcast. Bill can also be heard on the Gamers Lounge Podcast. Check them out on iTunes. Also, feel free to give us five stars on iTunes. Every little bit helps. But when you do... Don't write a review of the show. No. Instead, just tell everybody why you love Flint so very much. Guild Ball is property of Steamforged Games Limited. 
The views and opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not represent the official position of Steamforge Games, Yo-Yo Dine Propulsion Systems, Aperture Laboratories, or even the other hosts and guests. Dogs barking can't fly without an umbrella. It is time once again for another installment of Ox's Poetry Corner. Butcher's kicking team? That is not what we do, dude. Get back to fighting. Tell me uh, tell me what I need to know to get there. Uh, so so it's landlocked a- city. <laughs> so you can't come by boat. All right, very good. Mm-hmm.